Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. A few weeks ago, we had a lovely evening here at church for Valentine's called Songs of Love and Passion. We sang, we listened to song, we partied. It's a great evening. One of you came up to me at one of the breaks and said, I think you need to change your sermon title for tomorrow to Thou Shalt Not Commit Adultery. And I smiled in a kind of, I have no idea what you're talking about kind of way until I turned the radio on on the way home and learned about our mayor's troubles. One problem with being a public servant is that when you break a commandment, it's world news. When the rest of us covet or lie, or break the Sabbath, or take the Lord's name in vain. It's not world news. Nobody changes the sermon title when that happens. Some years ago, the great Ted Koppel, news anchor, spoke at my alma mater in a chapel service. And Koppel said, now I'm not a very good Jew, but I think the Ten Commandments are the way to life. And then he read them. And then he sat down. He wasn't even sure he believed enough in God to say more than that, but he was sure this is the right way to live. It'll make everything better. Pay attention. Christians historically have said there are three main reasons for the Ten Commandments and for all the other laws in the Bible. One is to guide the people Israel's life until the coming of a Messiah. We Christians know that we're not saved by observing the law, not by gritting our teeth and trying to be moral. If you do that, you often end up looking down at people who you perceive as less holy than you are. That is, you go the opposite way of love of God and neighbor. The law is meant to prepare us for the Lord coming in the flesh. And this is one reason why we observe less of the law than our Jewish elder siblings. We believe the giver of the law has come in person. Two, the law is there to show us how bad we need a Savior. Just try taking any one of these commandments, say the one against coveting, and try to make it till dinner time without breaking it. It won't work. I can't get through a parking lot in this city without coveting someone else's car. These commands are there to show us how badly we need redemption. They're like a mirror held up that allows us to see our face and see how dirty it is. But only Christ can make us clean. Three, the law is there to build a holy people. After we learn from the law that a Messiah is coming, after we learn from the law how bad we need redemption, we learn from the law how to love God and neighbor. And this is good. If we commit ourselves to spending the rest of our lives trying not to break the ninth commandment against lying, we could spend the rest of our lives living into just that one command. So all the Ten Commandments in one sermon. Buckle up. Here we go. I felt like at the last service I should have changed up the number that they were in because people were counting. All right, we're on number seven. All right, we're on number eight. The first command. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I'm guessing not too many in this room are tempted to worship Baal or Molech. 
But idolatry is more subtle than that. Martin Luther said, wherever your heart is, there is your God. Wherever your heart is, there is your God. Whatever gets the majority of your attention and care and money and loyalty, that's a good sign that's what you worship. I worry that if there were an external spiritual audit of my life, if someone came in and looked at what I look at on screens, what I spend money on, what I daydream about, they would decide that I worship Duke basketball. Not a good day for that. Lots of sports fans these days are being buried in the color of their sports team. It's pretty clear what you trust to save your body from the grave. That's what you worship. I don't think the Green Bay Packers flag will get it done. I just want to warn you about that. The way lots of people talk about our political parties, the way my fellow Americans talk about the Constitution, the way lots of us talk about the stock market, something religious is going on there, not just something less than that. Or the way we parents talk about our children and how if they don't get into the right preschool, they'll die poor and alone, won't get into the U of T or whatever. It's clear we worship our children's future success. No, all of those are good things, but don't worship them. They're not God. Or we can speak of the true God in the wrong way. We can ask Jesus to curse our enemies, to give us riches instead of a cross. Israel is absolutely passionate about this first command. There is only one God. And he's a jealous God and will accept no rivals. The second command, you shall not worship any graven images. Last week during the Oscars, one of my kids said out loud, I wonder who's going to get the next idol. And sure enough, they go up there, they take that statue, they kiss that thing, they cradle it, they throw it up in the air. No judgment. You and I do the same in whatever area we succeed in. Now, few of us have been tempted to bow down to a statue of a god, but really, this is the command that explains all the others. Sin is a matter of failing to worship the one true God, and instead worshiping something we make, something that cannot speak or act or save. I had a friend once who didn't get tenure at his university. This is worse than death in academia. And in his grieving, he said to me, if I'd have known this was going to happen, I would have had another child. Now, that's how you can tell something's an idol. It demands your children. Here's looking at you, gun culture in the United States. The third command, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Now, in our day, of course, the Lord's name is no different than any other cuss word, OMG and text messages and so on. I think our elder Jewish siblings in the faith know better. They won't even say the name of God in worship. When they come to it, they won't say God or the Lord or Yahweh. They just say the name. A name so powerful, you shouldn't even try and say it in worship. That's how to avoid taking it in vain. Think of the way people pray when they're desperate, when they're facing death or giving birth, when they're in great joy or great sorrow. They cry out to God. And when we do that, God comes near 
God hears us. But if we cry out to God because we lost the keys or the shoes, it's like the boy cried wolf. The Bible says that God's name will be honored from generation to generation around the world. Those who don't know God's name one day will honor it. And we throw it around when we miss a yellow light? Fourth, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, no judgment here. It's the Sabbath and I'm working, so things happen. But part of this is that in Egypt, in Pharaoh's economy, there is no rest. Slavery means forced labor until you expire. There is no Sabbath in Egypt's economy. Now, I love the labor movement, but I've seen this bumper sticker, unions, the people who brought you the weekend. And I have to respond, nope, that would be the Jews. This commandment goes on and on, saying who's not to work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your slave, your livestock, or the resident alien are to work. You add all of these details because people are tempted to break this commandment. There's money to be made. Can't we just sneak in a few hours? What about the people who work for me? They like getting double. Can't I just check a little email while I'm watching the game? And God says, no. (laughs) If even God can rest for one day a week after creation, presumably you and I can rest for one day and the world won't fall apart. That's what happens when we fail to rest. We say, oh, if I don't work, the world will come unglued. That's not even true of God. Now, I don't have to tell you how seldom this is obeyed. With technology, most of us have a computer in our pocket right now, more powerful than the one that sent people to the moon. Most of you in here aren't looking at it right now. I can't be so sure about you guys online. Anytime we have one of those things, we're either working or we feel guilty for not working all the time. The promise of technology has always been it'll give you more leisure time. When electricity washes your clothes, you'll talk to your spouse more. When you can make toast without thinking about it. You'll talk to your kids more. It never has delivered on that promise. More technology and we rest less than we ever had. So please do take 24 hours off. Talk to your spouse. Talk to the neighbor who no one visits. Talk to the older relative you haven't talked to in a while. Talk to the kid who needs a mature adult in their life besides the people in their family. You'll not only be more refreshed when you go back to work, though that's true. You'll not only make more money in six days than you made in seven, though that's true, and I can prove it with data. If you cut out from work, you acknowledge you're not God. Only the God of Israel is God. That's the heart of the whole Ten Commandments. There is one God alone. Fifth, honor your father and mother. Interestingly, so you may live long in the land. Now, I'm not sure I can prove that with data, but we are all living longer. When I was pastoring in Vancouver, one of the older saints of the church in her 80s asked for prayer for her mother-in-law, and I said, Susie, how old is your mother-in-law? And she said, 108. (laughs) Well, I was back in Vancouver a few weeks ago, and I saw Susie's granddaughter, and so I asked, your great-grandmother still living? And she said, yep. She's 111. She's the oldest person in Canada. 
And the moral of that story is, if you want to live a long time, you should probably be Chinese. Might be too late for some of us. We can at least have more soy in our diet. More seriously now, a friend of mine works in the United States. He's a great professor there. But he plans on retiring back to Uganda. And if you ask him why, like, there's not good geriatric health care there. He says, you're right. I won't have the health care. But you don't honor your elders in North America. In Uganda, I will have respect, and that's more important than the health care. In fact, he says, with that, I bet you I'll live longer. Honoring father and mother like the Sabbath shows that we did not create ourselves. We all have a belly button. You can check at an appropriate moment later when you're not in church. You can also honor every older person you see. That's a way of honoring the God who tells us to honor parents. Six, you shall not murder. Now, the scriptures that say these things get a bad rap. One scholar notes we have to get their tone right. Her quote is on page 10 in your bulletin. The commands don't say, do this or else. They say something more like this. Seeing that you are who you are, this is the way ahead, the way of being and living in the truth, the way of freedom. So Fleming Rutledge. Anybody remember when you'd go out on a Friday night and your mom would holler after you, remember who you are? That's the Ten Commandments. You must not murder. God gives life. We don't. God takes life. We shouldn't. It's God who judges who lives and who dies. What worries me here specifically is how quickly we Canadians have embraced made as a way to die. It's now the sixth most common cause of death in Canada. Now, I know why it's there, for extreme cases of irremediable suffering, but we've seen reports from places like CTV, CBC, of made being suggested to people who are poor, who are disabled, who are lonely. These are not mortal conditions. These are things for which people need help, not death. I've bumped into people who are talking about MAID who aren't really dying any more than the rest of us. And with the money changing hands from the baby boomers to the next generation, this makes me very, very nervous. How do we know it's not murder? I deeply appreciate President Jimmy Carter going home from the hospital and saying, I'll take hospice, but I'm not going to try and save my life at 98. That's the right way to face death, with confidence in Jesus Christ and a little palliative health care. Pope John Paul II did the same. That's not physician-assisted suicide. That's just recognizing death is imminent and not being afraid of it. It's a good thing. There's deep integrity there. But offering maid to those who fall through the holes in our social safety net and our medical system The sixth commandment would like a word. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. The primary marriage in the Bible is between God and humanity. This is why no one has to get married to be a fully human person. In baptism, we're married to Jesus Christ. That's all the spouse you need. And God is always faithful to us. In the Bible, when God's people go after other gods, the Bible accuses them of you guessed it, adultery. 
And that's the primary reason to be faithful to our spouse. Because it tells the truth about God. That God will never leave us, nor forsake us, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. There was a story in Vanity Fair or Esquire or some other similarly not at all religious magazine with the headline, Want Misery? Try Adultery. The author said that they thought that this fling would be fun and sexy. And instead, they ended up lying to every single person in their life, including themselves. The commands have a reputation of trying to take away fun. Actually, they're trying to keep you from sorrow. And if they can say that in Esquire, can't we say that in church? (laughs) Marriage is a good thing. Honor it. Every time I hear of a couple that's been together for decades, I think, that's exactly what God is like. I met a widower who had just buried his wife after 69 years of marriage. And he said, I met that girl when she was 16, and I have loved her every day. That's it. That's beautiful. As the kids say, that's hot. (laughs) That's passionate. That's romantic. G.K. Chesterton said, any romance is more interesting, sorry, any marriage is more interesting than any romance. It's important to get these things right. Any marriage is more important and more interesting than any romance. Romance is frivolous and fun. It comes and goes. Marriage is a running argument about how to load the dishwasher, about which way to have the toilet roll roll, about how to parent your kids when they're being difficult. That's what's actually beautiful. In fact, the only thing hotter than that might be singleness, since it shows us that Christ is spouse enough. Eighth command, you shall not steal. All the commands presume a positive. This one, not to steal, presumes that we lend our neighbor her due. Not only should we not steal from someone, we should see that they're well-fed, their needs are met, They're well-housed and loved. But one striking thing is how hard it would have been to steal from Jesus. He doesn't seem to have owned anything that could have walked off. The Bible says some wealthy widows paid for him and the boys to wander around Palestine, but they gave the money back to Judas, which suggests they weren't vetting their leadership all that well. Friends of mine grew up as missionary kids in Brazil, in the favelas, some of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the world. And if you ask them how they did it, they said, it's simple. You can't own anything that you don't mind walking off. If you don't mind your stuff walking off, you can be a presence for Jesus absolutely anywhere. To steal is to fail to trust in God's providence. God has given us all we need to worship Him, to love one another, to steal is to say God has not been generous, and that's not true. And that's the case if we steal a loony or millions. Nine, you shall not bear false witness. That is, you shall not lie. This one is why the commands show up in courtrooms. It's the kind of thing you would want before someone takes an oath. And sure enough, a system of justice depends upon truth-telling. But I wonder if the presumption isn't more important for us. Not only shall you not lie, you will speak well of others. Let us all be caught speaking well of those who aren't in our presence. 
In Buddhism, there's a threefold test for whether you should speak or not. One, you ask yourself, is it true? Two, you ask yourself, is it necessary? And three, you ask yourself, is it kind? And if it doesn't pass all three of those tests, don't speak. And now you know why so few Buddhists speak. Because you're asking all these questions. And most of what we say fails to satisfy that test. The point is this. God gave us language to love one another. We should use it to build up and not to hurt. Not to undermine another's reputation. Ten, you shall not covet. Now you may feel like you're off the hook with this one. No one here is all that tempted to covet your neighbor's ox or donkey. But then again, our entire economy is built on coveting. It's called advertising. They make billions to convince us that we need stuff that we don't. Dave Ramsey says of our credit card culture that we buy things we don't really need with money we don't really have to impress people we don't really like. But if that's not highbrow enough for you, let's try this from Soren Kierkegaard. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. I have it on good authority, but I've never found it, that C.S. Lewis himself said, our whole modern global economy would collapse if everyone obeyed the ninth and the tenth commands all the time. That is, no lying and no coveting. It can be scary how on point the Bible is to our day. Now, you all hear these commands in this beautiful church this morning, but God's people first heard them in the desert at the foot of Mount Sinai, which was smoking and shaking with thunder and lightning and a pillar of fire and a cloud and God's voice and Moses' face shining. Did they obey them any better than we do? No, they did not, despite all the pyrotechnics. The minute Moses comes down the mountain with the two, two tablets holding the Ten Commandments, the people have made a golden calf, and they've risen up to play. More about that next week. That is, they're breaking the first, the second, the seventh, and several other commands. It's the same as with us. What these commands are for is not to make us good. They're to hold us still before Jesus. To hold us still before Jesus. They say, here is a good way to live. You will fail and then you'll be forgiven. That's the whole thing. So Lord, bless these words. Have us to treasure them, teach us to our children, and live by them, for they mark the way to Jesus Christ. Amen.